This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. Well, let us get into the study of God's Word in here. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 10. Proverbs chapter 10 is where we will be. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the black hardback one in the rack in front of you. If you've been with our church this summer, you'll know that we've been working through the Old Testament book of Proverbs together, and and here's one big question that we've been asking. So it's just often known that Proverbs is a book about wisdom. The question is, there are lots of books about wisdom, so why focus on this one? Let me just give you three quick answers to why focus on this one. Number one, Jesus read the book of Proverbs. He learned from it, and he even modeled much of his own teaching after this book. And so if you've read the Gospels, which are the stories of of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, you will hear over and over again that Jesus spoke to them, meaning the crowds, meaning other people, in parables. Parables and Proverbs are the same thing. They're short wise teachings that come parallel to our lives to help us see a wider perspective on things. So as Christians, we follow Jesus. He learned from the book of Proverbs, so we should too. That's number one. Number two, Proverbs raises the value of wisdom above simply avoiding bad choices and making good ones. Most of your consequential choices in life won't feel that significant while you're making them. But what you'll see when you look back on years or when you're looking decades into the past is that wisdom isn't just about making a a right move here and there. Wisdom is a pattern and a habit and a way of life. That's what Proverbs teaches us. Wisdom is a way of life. So Proverbs is about living wisely, not just making an individual choice here and there. And number three, Proverbs actually teaches us what true wisdom is. You can be outwardly successful and still profoundly foolish when it comes to the things that matter most. Uh, You can seem to have it all together when you are really barely hanging on. So Proverbs, what it does is it reframes the picture of our lives by cutting out the superficial and focusing us on what truly matters. So think of cropping a picture. You trim off what's peripheral on the edges so that you can focus on what you really want people to see in the photo. Proverbs does that by saying, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. That's That's chapter 9, verse 10. Here's what that means. The truly wise people focus on God. That's what it means. They crop out everything else and they focus on God. If you're not starting there, if that's not what's in the middle of the frame, 
then whatever you're doing on the periphery barely matters. You can't be smart. You can't be wise. You're not going to be even truly living your life in the right direction unless you're moving towards Jesus Christ all the time. And the reason it's important to sort of understand all of that about Proverbs is we make a a little bit uh, of a shift this morning from what we've been doing so far this summer. Uh, Up until now, we've read nearly every verse and just kind of studied them all in order. From here... What we're going to do with just the rest of the book is we're going to take a look at four themes that come up quite a bit. And this is kind of how Proverbs sets up. The first nine chapters lay the foundation, the foundation of of the primacy of the Lord. And then the rest of the book continues that by bringing the fear of the Lord to bear on all kind of common life situations. And so if you're not too familiar with Christianity even, this is a great introduction to Christianity as a whole because it all begins and ends with Jesus. But also Christianity is an everyday faith. Our Christianity matters and it speaks into every area of our lives. That's why you're not, you know, a teacher at school and a Christian at church. You're a Christian teacher in both places. Same thing if you're in business or you're a physical therapist. And it's not just your job. You're a Christian husband and friend and golfer and you name it. And this is what Proverbs teaches us is that wisdom and our faith in Christ permeate everything we do. So there's four main topics that we're going to be planning to look through for the rest of our time in Proverbs this summer. Uh, We're going to look at men and women. We're going to look at learning and growing. We're going to look at pride and humility. And today we're looking at greed and generosity. Greed and generosity. And if you're, you know, hearing that this is a sermon about giving and money and thinking, you know, great, now, now we have to talk about money. Yes, you're absolutely right. We do have to do that. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I'm going to mention it a lot because Proverbs does and the Bible does frequently. But here's where you might not have the right idea in mind when you hear that we're going to talk about money. Biblically, money, giving, generosity always starts in the heart and with the work of God. And and anything that we're told to do or invited to do flows from that. And that's just like, that's what I just said is just like Proverbs. It's not wisdom for one part of life or in one specific decision. It's foundational wisdom that you build your life upon. And so when we talk about greed and generosity this morning, we're not talking just specifically about giving or tithing, although that's part of it. We're talking about a generous heart flowing from the generous heart of God. And so in your Bibles, let's find to start Proverbs 10, 22. Proverbs 10, verse 22, we're going to read two verses 
now and then go to a bunch more with the rest of our time. So Proverbs 10, 22, and then I'm going to read 11, 28. Got that? Proverbs 10, 22, and then 11, 28 is where we'll base our time. 10, 22. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Now Proverbs eleven twenty eight. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. 1022 and 1128, there are two ideas when it comes to riches in these verses. The first idea is that money itself isn't bad. And this might be kind of a paradigm shift that we need to make. It's actually, Proverbs says, God who gives money to us. So our approach to money should not be to despise it or disregard it. Because as Christians, we know it comes from the Lord. But we also shouldn't be greedy for it either. That's idolatry. If you read Genesis 2, right at the beginning of the Bible, verses 11 and 12, what you'll see is that when it's describing how God made the earth, some of the things that he put into the earth were gold and other precious stones. Right there, Genesis 2, 11 and 12. And Genesis 2 is before the fall of humanity into sin. And so God called all of these things that he made, including valuable gems and stones, good. They're part of a world that's made by God beautifully and richly. And like everything else that he's put into the world, they're meant to bring him glory and they're meant to be a blessing to us. And what we're supposed to do when we see valuable things, when we see rare things, when we see beautiful things, is we're supposed to see in them a great glory, a great beauty. But not to ultimately desire those beautiful things. We're supposed to look at them and marvel and wonder and say, If there is something this beautiful that exists in this world, this valuable that exists in this world, what must the creator who made it and placed it here be like? How much more glorious and beautiful must he be? And so that's the first idea in these verses. Money isn't bad. It actually comes from God. Second, it's possible to misposition. I don't think that's a word. I'm going to use it anyways. Uh, By that, I mean it's possible to give money and to put it in a place up high in our lives to the point that we're actually trusting in riches or in things like what the Bible would call gold and, and other precious jewels, what we would just call money, dollars and cents, more than we're trusting in God. And when we do that, it only leads to disaster. It will never work out good for you to trust in your money above trusting in the Lord. And this is a typical pattern for Proverbs. Not just to say that there are differences, but Proverbs often shows us how things are polar opposites. One way leads to death, the other to life. So when it comes to your money, putting your trust there is fruitless. It will only lead to your decay. 
But if you pursue righteousness, that's when you're truly living. So in light of those two ideas, that money itself isn't bad, it's actually a gift from God, but it is possible, second, to misposition that money, let me just ask four questions. I'm going to move through these really quickly, but let me ask four questions about how Proverbs teaches us to handle money. Question number one, if money is actually a gift from God, how should we expect to receive it? If it's a gift from God, how do we expect to receive it? Question two, again, if money is a gift from God, like every gift, how do we use it and return it back to him as worship? That's what every gift of God is meant for, to be used and returned to him as worship. Number three, if money can lead to a downfall, how do we guard against that? Number four, very simply, how do we flourish with money? If we can be with riches and wealth, either a leaf that falls or a green one that grows, how do we flourish as a green one? That's the last question, question four. So these four questions, we'll move through these pretty quickly. Number one, question number one, if money is actually a gift from God, how should we expect to receive it? You don't have to read all these verses. I'm gonna bounce around to a bunch of different places in Proverbs. I'm just gonna try to kind of summarize for us some biblical proverbial teaching on money. Listen to what Proverbs 10.4 says. How should we expect to receive our money? Proverbs 10.4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. First thing, notice how similar that sounds to verse 22 that we just read a minute ago. The blessing of the Lord makes rich in verse 22. Diligence makes rich in verse 4. How do you incorporate the blessing of the Lord and being diligent to an understanding of where riches come from in the teaching of Proverbs? You do it like this. Ultimately, what we have comes from the Lord, but the way it's given to us is through our work. So what you have, all that you have, comes from the Lord. But especially when it comes to your finances, it should normally come to us through work because there's dignity and there's joy in earning through toil. Uh, They're not all like this, but in my experience, people who have just been given their money usually have very little appreciation for it and almost no humility about it. On the other hand, people who have earned their money often see it as great blessing and they know that it's been given to them. Even when people feel like they've worked hard, they know that it's still a gracious gift from God if they're Christians. So God wants us to appreciate what we've been given. He doesn't want, to take a, he doesn't want us to take it for granted. And the way he accomplishes that in our lives is the normal means of blessing people with money for him is through them earning their money. And the reason is there's great dignity in earning your, your money. Uh, I can tell you with great certainty, I am incredibly blessed financially. By every historic and global standard, I am very wealthy. And so are you. You don't have to have all the things I'm about to list 
but by historic and global standards, everybody listening to me is wealthy. Uh, I live in a house that's just for my family. Most of the world, and I mean most, don't do that. We have a refrigerator full of food. When that refrigerator gets a little lower than I prefer with the food, what I do is I go to a store where virtually every food that I would ever want is laid out before me, and I have the financial means, maybe not to buy absolutely every cut and, you know, whatever of meat and fish that I want, but basically I can pick out whatever I want at the store, and I can take it home, and I can eat it. That is not the case for the majority of people in the world, and it certainly hasn't been throughout history. I mean, I can do this on and on and on. I'm a very rich man. And I praise God for that. Now, here's what's also true. Uh, In our family, we're regularly having to decide between doing one thing and not another because we just simply can't afford both. And I can tell you I actually like that. I like that despite the fact that I'm very wealthy, if I don't have my job, we don't make it. It puts me in a position to see the dignity of my work mattering. But I can also see, because of the way that I just understand that I've been truly financially blessed, God has greatly increased me, and it's only from his hand. So my work matters, it's valuable but I ultimately don't lose sight of where I have ultimately comes from. See that? So that's how we see money is a gift from God. Now let me ask just one more question. Really, really common question. Let's just let Proverbs answer this a little bit. Many of us work hard. This is just the real brass tacks of it. Many of us work really hard. How come some of us have more money than others? Two Proverbs help here. Verse, chapter 13, verse 11. says, if you try to gather wealth hastily, it will dwindle. But the way to increase is to gather little by little. One question that Proverbs would ask you, if you think you should have more money, really just simply, honestly, have you worked hard for a long time? And over that time, have you been wise with your money? Most people who don't have much money and want more cannot answer that yes and yes. They haven't worked hard for a long time and they haven't been consistently wise with their money. In fact, I don't know anybody who's been consistently wise with their money that finds themselves in great need. That's how God blesses is you work hard for a long time and you don't expect to get rich quickly. You don't expect to have great wealth right away. Little by little is your gain. So if your expectations are that you would look around and have more wealth than others, Proverbs is just going to really bluntly ask, have you worked and planned and saved like that? Honestly, there's a second part of this answer, and it's from Proverbs 15, 16 too. We just need to understand this. This is how Proverbs answers this as well. Proverbs 15, 16. Better is a little, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. 
Folks, it's so much better to fear God than have money. So if you know Christ, if you love the Lord, you've already been given the most important thing. Don't be so quick to wish for money. With money comes more trouble. So that's how we get God. That's how we get money. It's a gift from God, but we work for it. We're diligent with it. Question two. Again, if if money's a gift from God, like every gift from him, how do we use it and return it back to him as worship? We could ask this of any gift of God. Your marriage is a gift from God, and the best thing you can do is enjoy it and look for ways for your family to bless others. We could do that with anything that God has given you that's good. So we read verse 1128 earlier. Look uh, just a few verses before that, Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25. We're bouncing all over the place this morning. You can just listen to these or you can turn there. It's up to you. Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched. And the water, one who waters will himself be watered. Here's what that means. You actually get richer by being generous. And when you're selfish, you end up poor. I'm just going to put this on the line right now and show you that, that this is true. Think of somebody who stands out in your mind as really generous. Just picture that person in your mind right now. Are they unhappy and poor? No, they're not. They're probably one of the most joyful, happy people you know. They might not have as much money as some other people, but I bet you they feel quite rich. Being generous leads to you feeling quite wealthy. Now, Flip that around. We all know somebody who seems like they should have a lot of money and be able to give a lot of money away, but for some reason, they're just pretty tight-fisted. Picture that person. Don't look down on them. Don't judge them. Just picture them. Are they happy and rich? Maybe a little on the rich side, but I'm going to bet that they're not too happy. At what cost have they hoarded their wealth? This right there is the grace of God in the gospel. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Through his obedience and to death on the cross, in the place of of needy, poor sinners like you and me, Christ gave, and he gave, and he gave. For your sake, he became poor, so that through him you might inherit the riches of the kingdom of God. This is one of a trillion things that we see in the gospel. That you're not asked to do anything by God that he hasn't already done 
in an incomparable scale for you. You're not told by God to give because he's afraid that you'll have too much. You're told by God to give because when you do, you become more like him. There are not riches that God doesn't possess. I know that's a double negative. I'm making up words doing double negatives this morning. There are not riches that God does not possess. It's the only way that it kind of makes this have the right kind of force. So God has all the wealth, but he's constantly giving. He never stops giving. There is never a millisecond in which God is not generously bestowing grace and life and abundance over everything that he has made out of the goodness of who he is. He's constantly giving. Everything he does is generous. So when you're generous, you're a little bit like him. But when you're greedy, you're nothing like him. You're in fact the opposite of everything that he is. God has given you everything in Jesus And if that weren't more than enough, he's added to it every good thing in your life. You can't think of one good thing that isn't from the hand of God. And so we worship him then, and we don't let that end with us, but we just pass it on to other people. That's how we return it back to him as worship. Question three, if money can lead to our downfall, how do we guard against that? Uh, For this, let's just go back to one of our starting verses, 11.28. 11.28 says, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. So look at the parallelism here. Trusting in riches leads to falling. Righteousness leads to flourishing like a green leaf. Uh, We see this every year. Leaves bud, they flourish, and then they do what? They, they, They dry up and fall. So that's the natural cycle for leaves. But it doesn't have to be for us. We flourish when we keep things rightly ordered. 1 Timothy 6.10 says that for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. And I want to point out a key word here. Lots of key words in that verse. But here's, here's the big one. It starts out, for the love of money. This would be an entirely different verse if it was saying that just money itself is the root of all kinds of evils, but that's not what it's saying. Remember, money itself isn't bad. It's from God. It says this is what happens when you love money. Remember Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Jesus said, you can't have two masters. You can't serve both God and money. You can't love money or you won't love the Lord. That's simply true. That doesn't need a qualification. You can't love money and the Lord. You can only love one or the other. And so the answer to this third question, how do we just guard against it as a downfall, is simply don't love money, love God. I know that that's easier said than done, but that's where it starts. So how do we know if we're actually doing that? Uh, One surefire way to know is to ascertain 
whether you've given something too much of a hold on in your life is to simply ask, what do you fear losing more? Do you fear losing your money? Or do you fear losing God? Now, you probably wouldn't say it like that. You're not, you're not just going to go, well, I fear my money. You're, you're, you know the right answer is just to say, I'm afraid of losing God. But if you have a greater fear of not having any money than not having a friendship with Jesus Christ, you love money. And that's a quick way to wander away from the faith. So the other safeguard here, beyond just making sure we're rightly ordering things, the other safeguard is generosity. This is what Proverbs teaches. Being regularly generous Having a system and taking extra opportunities to give keeps you from loving money too much. Uh, so one of the most common questions I get as a pastor is, should I tithe to the church? Here's my simple answer. It can be way more complicated and technical if you want it to be. But here's my simple answer to the question, should I tithe to the, tur- to the church? While tithing isn't commanded in the New Testament... Tithing means to give 10%. While that's not commanded in the New Testament, marked generosity is taught in the New Testament for every Christian. And then I would just add on top of that, for most Americans, giving 10% of your money is a good place to start. And I would encourage doing that plus looking for extra places to give that you're passionate about. People you know serving overseas, causes that you believe in, things that you've personally experienced hardship from so you want to bless others in. And so if you ask, what do I do about tithing? I would say, not required, not commanded, but for most Americans, a tithe is a pretty good place to start and then looking for other ways to give is generous. And remember, all of this goes back to being rooted in the Lord and reflecting Jesus Christ. You're more like him when you give. You're nothing like him when you don't. So how do we flourish with money? That's the fourth question, last question. How do we flourish from money? Here's kind of how Proverbs ends its teaching on money. Proverbs 30, verse 8. Remove from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. This is Proverbs' answer to what amount of money do you need? What's too much? It's not enough. What amount of money should I want? It's completely counterintuitive to anything you're going to hear in any other place. But here's what Proverbs says to ask for. Ask that you would neither be poor nor rich. And here's the reason it says that, I believe. If you're not poor and you're not rich, you won't constantly, if you're not poor, you won't constantly need to be jealous of others, nor will you be tempted to think that you've got to go someplace else from God because you don't have enough. When you're not wealthy, you're also not tempted to no longer depend on God because you think you have enough on your own. 
This is the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. Of all the things that the sage writes and teaches and says that we should pursue, the only thing he actually asks God for in the whole book of Proverbs is neither poverty nor riches. And that should say something to us about the place of money. It's like a vehicle, a car, that you can either get into and drive to go someplace to bless another person, or you can roll up the windows and keep driving to a place of your own comfort. It's not wrong to have money, but be very careful not to love your money. By no earthly standard was Jesus Christ wealthy. But in every way that truly matters, he was rich. And he offers those riches to you. If you look at your bank account, your giving statement, and you don't see much there, but you know Christ. You have been given a gracious hope an inheritance, if, you, if your sin has been paid for on the cross and you no longer bear the debt of it, and your hope is in him for life forever, then you're already blessed beyond measure. The number on the bank account doesn't matter. And that's what matters in the end. Do you think that there's anything that this world has to offer that, that, that gets within a light year of the sonship of God? No. So don't love money. What you have, praise God for and praise him with by giving some of it away. Let's close with this. This is the idea that I just kind of want you to walk away from this morning, with this morning. When you are generous, you are like God, who is endlessly generous to you. Let's pray together. Could you have abundantly blessed us? We are wealthy beyond what most people who have ever lived could dream of. And even in our world today, what most people would ever be able to expect. Thank you. We pray that you would give us, give us neither poverty nor riches. For those of us who have less, we thank you for consistently providing for us. For we are here today, and that is a testament that you have always given us enough. For those of us who have more, help us not to love that. Help us not to depend too much on it. Help us to be extra generous with it because you've given us the means. And Father, make us a content people. Father, when we're jealous, it just locks us up. It just makes us bitter. 
makes us ungrateful. Make us a people who know we've been abundantly blessed and give us many eyes for ways to bless others. Make us generous because you're generous. In the name of Jesus Christ, who was rich but became poor, so those of us, all of us who are poor might become rich in you, we pray. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.